bits and pretzels inspire you. You will figure it out. This is clearly the place to be. Servus, everyone. I'm Britta Wettling, Editor-in-Chief of Bits and Pretzels, and I welcome you to another episode of our podcast. Today in front of the Bits mic is the co-founder and CEO of Swedish unicorn Klana, Sebastian Semyatkovsky. Sebastian is the guy who has created a revolution in online shopping. Today, Klana manages 1 million transactions a day with his buy now, pay later promise. Klana rose from being a local underdog to an international scale-up, threatening traditional banks and became the most valuable fintech unicorn in Europe. Today, Sebastian rules an empire with 2,500 employees, 60 million customers and 130,000 online merchants in 14 countries, including Germany. In this show, Sebastian is going to announce the next step for his company, the launch of a new shopping tool that aims to offer the same level of convenience and benefits that exist on a platform like Amazon. We've also discussed the influence of big tech companies on innovation, especially now during Corona, where many young startups are running out of cash, as well as the responsibility of leaders in the light of the Black Lives Matter movement. And like always, we've talked about what other entrepreneurs can learn from the Bastion's very successful way up to the top of the fintech world. I think it is essential, especially when you're in a digital service, to be very, very focused at continuously looking at and trying to understand your customer's experience end to end. What is it like? How many steps is it? How can it be improved? Hey, Sebastian, thanks for coming on the Bits and Pretzels podcast today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. In the past 15 years, you've made Klana the most valuable fintech in Europe, and it's still growing. At the beginning, you were told you won't have a chance, especially against the big players in the finance market. But now experts are saying that you're seriously starting to worrying banks. Why is that? And how did you came all along this way? <laughs> First and foremost, I wish, look, uh, it was definitely just, uh, the, I think the most reason I came this whole way was because it was never just me. It was a uh, a lot of amazing people that have both worked at this company and are still working at this companies. Um, I think that we look, I think in, in, at the basic of it is that banking is really about th three things, right? Uh, traditionally it's been about, uh, you know, taking deposits, about lending people money and payments and, right. and the payments to some degree has been things that banks haven't focused that much on. It's been kind of a boring infrastructure piece that, You know, the fancy thing was doing investment banking or doing, you know, big corporate customers or doing things right. like that. The everyday payments is just such a fundamental piece of our everyday life. And I think that just getting really, really good at everyday payments for people has then helped and allowed us to kind of expand that offering beyond that. And now we're transitioning into something even different and new. Um, right. So I think it's, um, you know, doing the boring stuff is usually a good start. <laughs> And I think it's like, especially right now, uh, where like many entrepreneurs think about the crisis, about probably a recession, a very uh, interesting and also challenging a situation. It's like an even more highly important uh, question to ask, what made you believe in your idea the whole time? What kept you going? Yeah, that's a good question. Look, I think I can really, I can trans kind of, you know, move back in time. And I remember very much, The feeling that we had is that we were, it was a fairly basic concept, but the concept was that 
when people were shopping online at that point of time, most people in both Germany and Sweden had debit cards. And that was creating a not a great experience because you were basically shipping your salary money to this e-commerce company that you barely knew at that point of time because mm -hmm. it's early days. And you didn't know if you were going to receive the product. And so to us, it was just made sense that as a consumer, it would be a better offering if I could receive the product, touch and feel it and say, yes, this is what I wanted before I paid for it. And so before I released my money. And so that was, and, and the interesting thing is this was the very basic concept that like made a lot of sense to us. And if consumers prefer it that way, then merchants would see more success selling online. And, and, and to your point, it's like, you, so you find these ideas, you have something where you see like there's an opportunity right. for improvement, something could be better, right? Something mm -hmm. could be done differently. And then you're going to have a lot of people tell you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how big of an idea is that really? And what does it really mm -hmm. matter? And why would it be? I'm actually very happy with my debit card. I don't see your problem, you know, whatever. Like there's going to be a lot of people telling you that, you know, for whatever reason, but you just have this conviction that, you know, something could be done differently and in a better way. And, and right. then, you know, from there on, I just think it's like execution is just trying to do that as good as you can. And then if, if you're lucky and if you're hardworking and, you know, if, if stars are aligned, then that can develop into something uh, quite big and successful. Right. Absolutely. You mentioned, you mentioned your team was especially mm -hmm. important for you. Yeah. What are like two other pieces of advice here um, about how to just, you know, go and do things instead of worrying. Because I think many entrepreneurs, frankly, uh, don't know what to do today uh, in, in this crisis. So I'm really curious about learning more about, you know, how you think about it. No, it's a good point. People, I think, in a way, there's a saying in Sweden that, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, challenges is the mother of uh, creativity or something like that, right? I'm sure you have a similar how saying. Does that, how does that sound in, in Swedish? Nöden är uppfinningarnas moder. That's for Sweden because we have Swedish listeners. We have listeners yeah, okay, from Sweden. Cool. So they'll be happy to know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I, think, I think that's very, very true. I think that's very, very true. And I think that like, so I, I think that's quite, I've seen a lot of people being creative. And I think that like, you know, and that's usually it, right? You, you, you have a challenge and, and then you try to solve for it. And I think to some degree, you know, a, a crisis like this will obviously be a booster for, for, for some kind of change for, for new. And then obviously some companies for, for different reason, you know, do not have that amount of creativity and they will maybe suffer more. Now, this is obviously an extreme crisis where even great companies with a lot of creativity right. might suffer a lot. Like if you're in travel, it doesn't necessarily matter how creative you are. It might be possible, right? Right. right? Yeah. So there's always a balance to those things. But but in general, I do think that the situation fosters fosters creativity and, and hopefully a lot of people will come out strengthened uh, rather than, you know, given up, uh, hopefully. But unfortunately, not all, obviously. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's interesting because you're actually landing a new coop now and you're launching a new feature to your service, which we also wanted to talk about mm -hmm. today, obviously, with you. So that sounds pretty spectacular. It's a new shopping gateway. So tell us all about that and what you want to achieve with this new feature. Yeah, so I think that what what we're very keen on, you've had kind of the, the retailers, you've had the marketplaces, and you had the standalone brands, right? And I think that if you look at, you know, most even the largest retailers like the Amazons of the world have also invested a lot and are basically more than 50% of them are mar marketplaces today. Mm -hmm. But the downside of marketplaces is they don't really give brands and, uh, you know, different brands and uh, their 
the ability to to express themselves they want to they get sorted into lists they get standardized commoditized in the way they're presented a little I mean, bit depending like- i mean depending on what brand we are talking about right i mean amazon is doing everything to push its its own brand forward exactly and that's the point right? what we've been thinking about is like okay but there's also benefits to shopping on platforms like amazon there's value aspects you know there's some not necessarily so much inspiration but there's at least convenience and value like one click shopping you know easy payments easy logistics etc so what we've been trying to think about is like how can we create something that allows brands and retailers to still express themselves to be themselves it's their web pages it's their experience we are never going to be able to present sneakers better than anyone else but what if we can help these uh, these companies enhance their experience, make shopping online. Mm-hmm. So the new clone app has a shopping uh, browser built into it, which allows you to go to any website and make a purchase on any website using Klarna. And then we try to enhance that experience and make it smarter and better so that you get a lot of the advantages that you have from kind of the marketplaces and the standardization that they bring that makes your experience more standardized. You find all your digital receipts in one place, you know, what you spend, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you have a lot of the advantages of that. But at the same time, allow the brands and the products to stand for themselves and you can still use it everywhere on the whole web. It's not limited to a selected amount of suppliers or whatever. You can use us everywhere. So we're trying to find that unique balance between those two aspects. And, and that's something we've seen a lot of success within some markets. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's the difference to like another e-commerce service? Or I mean, I understand the, the difference to a marketplace, but you know, what, what do you contribute to the shopping experience? You make it easier, right? You have like your underlying payment infrastructure right there, just one click. That, that's yep. basically the idea, I guess. Yeah, that could be one thing. But I can give you a very concrete other example. Like with Klana's uh, shopping app, you're able to go to any website. Add any item to a wish list. You can have wish list with items from multiple retailers rather than just that retailer, right? So you can have like your shopping list. There's five items from this retailer and four from this. Or here's my spring collection that I want to buy with a mix of uh, uh, items from different uh, merchants. You'll be able to get, uh, for example, price drop notifications to tell you when the items that you put on your wish list are dropping in price. You can get back in stock notifications when they're back Mm -hmm. in stock. You'll be able to, you know, share your wish list with your friends. Uh, and, and again, so like that's how we're trying to. And, and then obviously to your point, like post-purchase, being able to track your delivery, see where all my packages are when they're arriving, independently of whether you bought it on this merchant mm-hmm. or that merchant. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to kind of solve for everything shopping related um, and then um, around it without forcing you to put us on our platform. Like we don't force anyone to be on our platform. It should work everywhere. That's the, that's the ambition that we have. So if you want to use it on Amazon, you can use it on Amazon. If you want to use it on somewhere else, you can use it somewhere else. The idea is that it works everywhere. Um, Yeah. E-commerce is obviously the new big deal in tech, right? I mean, Instagram is a big shopping uh, um, platform, probably even more important than Facebook uh, itself moving forward. And obviously other other big companies, I mean, you mentioned Amazon and also like Google on a slightly Mm. slower basis, but also is moving into this space and e-commerce is now about, I think, 18% or something of retail. So Mm. there's still a lot of volume and a lot of growth uh, that you can actually do in this space. But even though you know it's 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 also 
in difficult situation for for a startup. So so tell us a little bit about what your strategy is, you know, against these big tech corporations. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's it. I mean, it's a question that many uh, startups get asked, but it's it's a serious question, right? Um, no, it's a serious question. No, I think right I, I think in general, like I think. I, my and you got to remember to some degree, Klarna is kind of in between, right? We're three thousand people, we right. have eighty-five million users worldwide. You're not uh, even you're not even small. You're not even no, the startup. No, you want to we're say? <laughs> we're obviously small compared to like in Google and Amazon still, but we're probably somewhere in between, right? Yes. But I think one of the things that I have believed very much is that. I've been in internet now for 15 years, right? And during those 15 years, one of the things that I have seen over those is that people tend to forget that internet is a is a massively fast-growing market. And what history tells us in regards to markets is that they become more and more specialized as time passes. So a hundred years ago, the railway companies, the ones that were providing railway services, they owned the hotels, they owned travel, they owned the restaurants. Uh, they were so politically influential that there was even legislation to stop them from having too much impact on local right. political decisions. Today, nobody would think about them as very influential companies. I mean, they're a big, you know, they're an important part of society. That's pretty much it, right? right? Yeah. And I think the problem is that they become conglomerates where they try to do too many things at the same point of time. And I think the, the big tech giants, how, how much respect I have for them, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people out there who's going to criticize what I said and said, it's not true. They're, you know, they're owning our data and they're doing this and that. And there's all these other reasons why they're really going to, you know. You know yeah, uh, I have to, you know, I think it's not only about the data. I mean, look, uh, you know, talking to other founders and people in the startup ecosystem, it's really also about innovation. I mean, yeah. you know, when you probably want to start something in social network, forget it. You know, yeah. you know, you can't get a foot into advertising, obviously. And there yeah. are many other, you know, layers of the industry. Oh, vertical I'm not saying it's easy. Right? That's not my point. I'm not saying it's easy, but I do think that we shouldn't underestimate that, like, it's possible for a company to stay very smart in a specific niche, but it's very hard for a company to compete with the whole market. Okay. And I think to some degree, these companies are trying to compete with the whole market. And that's why I'm not my biggest. What, what keeps me up at night from a competition perspective is very seldom the big guys. It is the other startups, the people that are coming, you know, moving even faster than we are with new ideas and new initiatives. Like, I think that's where we should be careful and watching them because I think that like, from a competitive perspective. And so I actually think there's huge opportunities. I'll give you a concrete example. I think that like now in what I've seen, for example, during Corona, which I think has been very exciting, is that I actually think e-commerce is, is, is moving into a next generation where if you think about it, if you're a little bit like tough on our industry, including myself, is that in a way it's a list of products like the online experience today of, you know, looking at products is basically a long list of products. Mm -hmm. And, that's not very exciting. And what we've seen during Corona is a lot of like live shopping and shopping events and, you know, different new ways of interacting mm -hmm. and doing shopping online that, you know. So it's experiencing think, shopping really, like more yeah. about experiencing. Products. Exactly. And trying to do something new and different again. And I think that like that's those are the things that the big companies should worry about, that like these trends and these opportunities, they will change again the environment. And so I think that, you know, a couple of years ago, everyone was like, you know, Instagram rules the word and then TikTok came about and, you know, that shouldn't be possible. And like, so I think I think the fun thing about this is we are going to continue to see disruption and I'm not entire, I'm not too worried. I do think that uh, there is one thing politicians could do to increase competition even further, but that's kind of a separate topic.
So Klana is becoming the next Amazon then? No, because we would never become a marketplace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's not what I want to be. Yeah, that's not what we want to be. What we want to be, however, is we want to be a perfect partner between the consumer and the merchants that we work with to even further, you know, make actually, I could say in a way, make everyone who's not on Amazon more successful, right? I mean, how can we help our merchants to offer the same level of convenience and and benefits that exist on a platform like Amazon, but do it on their own website, in their own channels, in their own relationships with their own customers. Right. I think that's that's uh, where we want to help them, but doing it in a way that is friendly to them and helping them and and you know uh, you know challenging them to 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 um, do even better experience for the customers. That that's the position we would like to play. Right. What do you think about you know the situation of big tech versus startups right now in the crisis? I mean, Amazon obviously benefits hugely from from this Corona situation, as do many other companies. What can entrepreneurs in the startup ecosystem do? How should they think about the big gaffas? Should they don't care? Should they go into a niche? What's your advice here? Yeah, I actually think it's the second thing that you said. And I think niche might sound so much like, you know, it's a small thing and stuff like that. But I think that genuinely speaking, like, um, the again, I think the a lot of companies that excites me are people that are doing very bespoke specific things. And if you do that really, really well, then that opens up for new opportunities and new growth. There's a company in Sweden that uh, called flight radar 24, and they built an amazing mm -hmm. way to track flights. Like, you okay. know, I think and, I've used it. I've used it before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's a very profitable, successful company. They don't employ a lot of people, but they're very cool. Um, you know, so you have examples like that. You have the network, for example, growing very fast in the U S right now that's doing online shopping through, live shopping events and stuff like that. There is like, there's a, I see a lot of companies where they, you know, and you might think is a niche, but you, again, I think that we're making the one thing that we underestimate consistently is that the internet economy is growing at such a pace that what might seem as a niche today will five, 10 years from now be a massive business. You know, I think just find your niche, find your passionate customers that you want to give a great experience to focus on them And then just try to drive the best possible experience and try to create value for those customers. And then I do think that, you know, that's going to lead. Now, sometimes it's going to be a slightly more, a bit smaller business opportunity. And sometimes it will evolve to something much larger, right? As you go, it's hard to entirely predict those things. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about the strategy for your company moving forward. <laughs> I think there are like some really interesting things that happen. Uh, first, you announced that you wanted to go more into the U S market in March. Alipay, which belongs to Alibaba, obviously became a minority stakeholder in Klarna. So, so talk about, you know, your, your strategy with going international and, you know yep. how you made the strategy and what other founders can actually learn from that how to shape the strategy <laughs> i'm not sure you can I, i hope maybe you can learn something but i think it's so hard to learn because i think every company has its own prerequisites and its own challenges but i think in general what, what least to us became very evident was that we said okay in regards to the type of industry we're in and the opportunity we're in we genuinely believe that like it's going to be a you're going to have to be a global company. You're going to have to cover a lot of markets. If we want to work with H&M and Sara and, and you know, uh, even small brands, really cool brands that are coming, whoever they are, uh, they want to sell 
e-commerce globally. Like e-commerce is becoming more and more global. It will continue to be to be the case, right? I'm still mm-hmm. like my my kind of prediction for the future is like similar. Like we've been reading about like here was a software developer that you know developed some app and now suddenly was making a fortune from selling this app through iTunes Store, you know, across the whole world. I think that was just software, which is much easier to distribute. But it mm-hmm. is my my expectations within e-commerce that like a few years from now, we'll read about this amazing jeans designer in Finland that created this really cool looking jeans and sold like four millions of them online through multiple channels. And because, you know, suppliers, everything was there and it was like automatically manufactured in China or whatever it was. Right. And so that's kind of where e-commerce is heading. And it's going to be uh, something that allows people that have a creative idea for a product or a creative, you know, or a nice design of a product, whatever it might be, they will be able to sell that product instantaneously across the whole world. And so that what that meant for us was, okay, if that's the case, then we as a company need to be global. So we need to be able to work with these companies across as many markets as we can. So for us, at least, the conclusion was to try to cover US and Europe and a couple of more markets. Right. But talk about the Chinese market, which I think it's like really fascinating market and where also Alibaba is obviously a huge player. So, mm-hmm. so talk about what made, why you made this decision, uh, you know, to partner, which it looks like uh, with, with Alibaba through Alipay sure. or how this partnership looks like and what are you, yeah. what you are expecting in China? No, I, think, which is yeah, I, think, I think when it comes to like, obviously there's a lot of, controversy right now around you know uh china and all that things but i think what we what we uh, met when we talked to uh, the people we met at alibaba is we met people that were extremely passionate about their business their products their services and to a large degree in our opinion in our opinion we in the in europe are looking much too much what's happening in silicon valley especially in the e-commerce i know segment. yes exactly we're looking much too much at amazon and all that stuff where Absolutely. where e-commerce is currently the, the frontier of an e-commerce experience and the frontier of e-commerce is happening in china we're seeing things happening there that isn't present in any other market and so we said look for us to have to part- partner with a chinese company that's obviously leading Uh, in that frontier and to be able to exchange ideas and thoughts and and learn from that and see what of that can be applied to European and US markets is just a a, a great opportunity for us and a partnership that makes a lot of sense. So that was what we were looking for. So so does this mean you entry into the Chinese market or is it Alibaba to enter the European market? (laughs) That I don't know. Like, I mean, Alibaba have to answer for themselves. You don't know? (laughs) I don't know that. That's for them to answer. Oh, really? Okay. But I, for Klarna, that we're definitely not going to the Chinese market. I think. Okay. I, I think from our perspective, like that market is the most competitive in the world. Yes, um, for sure. And and I think there are other markets that are less competitive. And uh, as as a business leader, you also want to be smart about where you put your effort. To, like, uh, I just think there's there's more opportunity. Like, I think if you look at the U.S. as a very good example, I think what's happened in the U.S. is Amazon has been so tremendously successful in, especially, I mean, they've been successful in other markets as well. But but in the U.S., they're very successful. And to some degree, what's happened in e-commerce as such is that investors have shied away from supporting companies that are trying to do something in e-commerce. Yes. And what that has meant is that there's an underinvestment in general in that area. Um, and so the only company you really see doing something exciting in e-commerce is Shopify in the U.S. market. Yeah, and so, absolutely. 
uh, I'm slightly exaggerating. There's a couple of startups now and stuff coming as well. But the point anyway is that we see that there's much more opportunity here in a market that a lot of investors gave up on. Um, that's usually where opportunity arises. So you have to right. think a little bit differently than the rest of people around you, I think, when you want to spot opportunities. And maybe also Trump is breaking uh, Amazon up at some point, uh, which is still yeah. to be something that's to be decided and not in our hands. But obviously, there's mm. a lot of discussion around this. But I wanted to come to a different uh, part um, of, of this conversation. Uh, you announced mm. uh, your first ever annual loss uh, in February uh, due to yep. higher investment and expensive market entries. Did you see the effects of Corona there? No, but it was, look, we, a little bit differently than most tech companies, have been running the company profitable since basically after six months when it started. And it's just been like our way of working. And for a long period of time, that has been possible for us to do. But we got to a point where we said, look, there's a massive opportunity right now in the U.S. in some European markets. We want to expand our bank offering. We want to expand, you know, launch the plastic car we launched in, in Germany and some other markets. We have a lot of opportunity. We think that the disruption to the banking system is happening now. Um, you know, this is kind of things where it's a little bit like, you know, self-driving cars. Like three years ago, everyone was like, they're coming, they're coming next month. I they're know. coming. Yeah. And then like the hype dies away. But that doesn't mean that the industry isn't shifting. Like we all know that one day. It's just harder. It's just yeah. harder. It's going to take a little bit longer time. But like, I yeah. don't, I still don't know whether my daughter, when she grows up, will actually get a driver's license. It's not entirely clear yet. Right. So I think that, and I think this is similar where it's like, for us, it was just like, now we actually see the signs. We do believe that this is going to be a massive change for the whole banking industry. For retail banking, the, the fintechs are starting to get a lot of traction. There's going to be a massive shift here. And we just said, now's the opportunity to invest. Now's the, oppor now, now's the time to invest, to go bold, to go after those opportunities, to try to be a positive force that is participating in transforming this industry towards a better, more customer-focused industry. And, and that's what we've been trying to do. And, and as a consequence, right. we had to invest more and, and that means losses, right? So like, so it's a very um, calculated move. And then obviously then Corona came and that obviously made us a little bit more cautious and thinking about, okay, what happens now? Because to some degree you can expect, you know, uh, what we've seen obviously is people shop even more online. On the other hand, you know, this might mean an economical downturn and what does that mean for people's, you know, finances and so forth. So now we're a little bit more cautious, obviously, in trying to understand how this is going to develop and so forth. But we still mm -hmm. believe that overall you got to be long-term in what you do. And our long-term idea of where the world is going from a digitalization perspective has not changed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like looking at the fintech sector from a higher perspective, it's like you have a lot of different companies in the sector, challenger banks in general. Uh, and you also have what, you know, what we've seen recently, also traditional banks moving you know, more into the digital space. Yep. Uh, and I think that leads to the fact that many more platforms, including you, it, it looks like to me, that you have to diversify and, you know, create an even broader platform, such to mm -hmm. say. So is this something that you would, you know, you know, say it's a general trend that you have to bring on more applications, more experiences, more products to stay relevant in this highly competitive market, which fintech surely is? Yeah, to some degree, I think. But I think it's also like you got to ask yourself, you know, what are the like, I think the, the key focus here is like, 
what problems am I well suited to solve for my customers? And am I solving them, right? And so if you look at it, for example, Klarna, one thing that usually a bank would never do is that we realized, okay, we're very ingrained in kind of online shopping, right? People use us when they buy online. So being able to help support customers who are understanding the shipment and the delivery, most banks would have said, no, 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 that's not a bank thing. You bank don't do shipping. You see what I mean? Like they have nothing to do with it. So I think that the one of the things that I we try to do is that we try to not think too much about letting the category we're in define what we're doing. Like we, we don't think like we're a payments company and hence we need to do payments things or we're this. We're trying to look at what are the problems that people are facing today? What are the experiences that we could enhance, whether it's convenience or, you know, uh, improve value or inspiration. I think our customers wouldn't be like if we started manufacturing furniture for them because we think we could do better tables. Then I think they would say, hmm, I don't know, like, Klana, is that really what you're supposed to do for me in my life? Like, see what I mean? Like, I think there's a... I mean, we know this other big company from Sweden who does it. Yeah, that's you know? true. Really well, right? But to us, it's just following the customer, um, following the customer's problems that we feel that, hey, you know what? We are well-equipped to help solve these problems for our users, then then let's do it. See what I mean? If exactly. we're not well equipped or if somebody else is better equipped, like, let's not do it. <laughs> like, uh, that's it. Great. Thanks, uh, Sebastian. That was great. We have a new category in this podcast, which is mm -hmm. called the toolbox. The okay. goal is to inspire young founders with a glimpse at what kind of tools renowned entrepreneurs like yourself have always kept in their belt to ensure their lasting success. So I would be curious in learning more about your three tools that have helped you to build your empire and why that specific tool is so important. Number one. I would suggest people read The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It, I am generally not in favor of management literature, but this book is very concrete. It's very to the point and has to do with how you build a great team and what are the specific traits that you should be worried about when you are working together with your team that is indicating to you that you don't have a well-functioning team. Number two. The second tool that I would keep uh, is I think it is essential, especially when you're in a digital service, to be very, very focused at continuously looking at and trying to understand your customer's experience end to end. Um, what is it like? How many steps is it? How can it be improved? Is it clear? Is it pedagogical? Do people understand what they're doing? And just trying and using your own uh, software or whatever it is on a continuous basis and continuously working with that. Never, as the company starts growing, never get swept away on just looking at dashboards and metrics and You know, don't listen to people tell you that you can't micromanage, you shouldn't be in the details. Like, yes, there are risks with micromanaging, but that's slightly a different topic. You never, ever forget about being close to your customers, listening to your customers and your experience. I think that's like the second toolbox. Number three. And then in the, in, in the third one, hmm, what would that be? Yeah. I guess it's just like, Don't stop believing and just do what you really, your gut tells you is right. And I think that to some degree, I felt there's always a balance how much you listen to advisors and different people that come with advice. But I, 
I think you still as a as an individual and as a founder, you need to I, I want to look back and said, well, I listen, I took to heart, but I did what I believed was right myself in the end. I need to feel like I did, you know, and, may, and then I may do an error. I may do it, you know, something might go wrong or whatever, but like be careful with not, not allowing like advice also to, to replace your own thinking, but rather like take it to heart, consider it, but then do what your gut feeling tells you is right to do. Our beer garden break because uh, we are bits and pretzels. Obviously, we come from Bavaria, and so we have this sec like the third part of our podcast, which is always a more personal part. Uh, we are moving over to our beer garden bench virtually yeah. in this case because obviously we can't. I mean, maybe not yet, but hopefully soon. Enjoy yeah. a Bavarian beer on a real beer uh, garden bench but now we are grabbing a virtual beer to come to the more personal part and what are we drinking to sebastian that's a good question but i have to here make a very specific remark that when i was about 13 or 14 i did spend a whole summer working in a, a wirtschaft outside bamberg And I was drinking a lot of, I was spending a lot of time in beer gardens and I was milking kühe and I was doing a lot of fun stuff and I was really enjoying the, the countryside of, of Bavaria. So I'm a big fan of that region. And I specifically remember the Rauch beer, even if I don't, I don't drink alcohol anymore, but I remember okay. the Rauch beer from Bamberg, which was a, a very uh, thing. And I remember other interesting uh, local creations like Gasmos and Radler, which is like a mix of Coca-Cola and beer and um, juice and beer and stuff like that. So I feel okay. very comfortable hanging out in this beer garden. That's just what I want to highlight. That's nice. That's nice. So what are we drinking to then, to Bamberg? To the good yeah, old well, time I, in Bavaria. I hope we can. I think. I hope uh, we can continue drinking to the fact that I think Germany is still providing to be uh, the true believer in a European companionship. And right. I am extremely. You know, I know there's a lot of people have different opinions on this topic, but I'm still. I am still a big believer in working together in partnership and i think germany has has consistently sent that message to the rest of union to europe in a in a very positive message way and i'm I, that's something i want to celebrate i think that's so important especially in those times i'm a big believer in partnership and working together and i i i am i truly feel european by by uh, heritage so cheers cheers for that cheers for that <laughs> And I think it's interesting uh, that you mentioned uh, this political dimension because you are somebody who thinks a lot about the political situation. Uh, you obviously talked a lot about sustainability. Um, you, you share your thoughts, you know, regularly on Twitter. And you also posted something on LinkedIn. You made a statement to support the fight against racism. So what do you think about the Black Lives Matter movement now spreading around the globe? Yeah, I have a lot of respect for it. And I think that like it is such an important um, movement. I hope that it will have a long lasting effect uh, because obviously we've seen riots before. We've seen demonstrations before. We've seen, unfortunately, these things happen before and they haven't yet had as much of a sustained impact on society as you would have wished for. Um, I personally feel with all its 
with all that happened around me too, I feel that I still believe it actually had some kind of shift in the mentality and psychology around, uh, uh, you know, female issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping and I want to believe that this will have a similar profound effect on this topic, uh, that it will impact how we think about it. And then I'm very interested to follow, you know, I've seen some very smart, thoughtful people sharing um for example, I tweeted, retweeted it myself around like what are the actual scientifically supported shifts and, and policies that can be implemented to uh, avoid police brutality and, and reduce risks of, of such things happening uh, mm. in society. And I hope that we will also see more of those being adopted because there are smart and policies that actually have proven to work in these th- cases. So that's what I'm hoping to see. Um, that this leads to, because I'm 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 a big supporter and I'm I'm very gracious and and I am happy to see people, you know, come to the streets and uh, in support for this. But I also am so keen to see that it's a long-lasting change that this will not right. just pass away into something else. I I really really hope that's the case. And I think I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks was also a discussion around corporate responsibility. So as an entrepreneur whose company makes an impact all over the world, how do you look at that? What do you think is your responsibility as a leader, uh, you know, to impact and influence, you know, your customers or or your followers? I think more and more that like, I think we all have that responsibility. To some degree, I feel that like maybe because we've had, you know, examples of politicians that do not necessarily stand up for human rights or for equal rights or sending very conflicted messages around these topics. I think it's been um, encouraging to see other leaders in the world, whether they're business leaders or, you know, whatever they are, to dare to stand up for this. And I was reading, for example, some of the horrible emails that Jeff Bezos have been receiving. And and I've received similar uh, threats, emails, and and comments online due to my you know uh, suggestions, and I oh, think really? that, like, yes, okay. for sure. And I and I, but to some degree, I think that's kind of a, a it's not unexpected that people will react when you mm-hmm. do these things. But I still think it's the I still think it's the right thing. I think uh, I think companies and and brands should dare to stand up for what they believe they're uh, you know what they believe is to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think you know to hopefully that can contribute to some of that uh, positive you know to, to being a positive force in society. I, I I in general like you know I think at least in Sweden there's this like you know unfortunately some kind of and I think it's ingrained in a lot of countries but I think Sweden maybe uh, more than others to some degree is that there's this very odd like you know it's the, the it it's really in its heritage of like you know, capitalism, like, you know, the evil corporates versus the, you know, the employer employees. And Mm -hmm. it's a very classical way of describing society. And I don't, I don't, I don't suggest that such um, challenges can exist. I don't suggest that people, employees sometimes can be mistreated by a poor employer. And I, I know there are challenges around all of these topics, but at the same point of time, most people that I work with at companies actually want to make a business not only profitable, but really great for their customers and have a positive, like this whole, you know, 
CSR thing. I think it's it's to me that's how I view most of the people I work with and most of the merchants we work with and people we work with. They genuinely are going to work for more than just putting a maximum profit line at the bottom. Like that's one way, obviously, but there's so many other things that drives them and makes them motivated. Right. Um, so so I think this is a positive development to see that people dare to also be outspoken about these things and stand up for what they believe in. I think in generally civil courage. Uh, is is a good thing. Right. And on the other hand, there was also some criticize um, around uh, Klarna because it was leading especially young people into buying things they maybe can't afford. Yeah, I think in our opinion, like we, you know, in general, in a lot of markets, what we see is that people have traditionally had credit cards, which allow them to, you know, pay off the 30 days and then maybe revolve at again, fairly high interest. And the, the solutions that we're primarily providing people is we're saying, look, when you buy groceries, other things, you should pay directly. But sometimes it might be things where it makes sense, for example, to pay off the delivery, um, which we think makes sense uh, because you it's a better consumer experience and it puts safety to you. And sometimes it makes sense to finance a specific purchase, whether it's a computer or even a sweater now and then if it's a short finance and it doesn't cost a lot, of, it doesn't cost interest. Mm -hmm. So I think that like to our, uh, we believe that What we're providing is a better solution to what has existed in the market before. We think these are better for consumers to use. Um, and then the, the kind of suggestion that we would drive people shopping more online and making it easier, that I think is a little bit different because in my opinion, like, you know, it would be a little bit like you would go into a physical shop and say, you know what, I'm going to add five steps in the checkout process here because it seems a little bit too easy for people to come in and just pick up a sweater. Like it needs to be five months. Like I think what we're doing is we're trying to make it as equally simple to shop online as it is in the physical store. And, and I don't see us necessarily contributing to, you know, people consuming more overall in that sense. Um, But I mean, I know this from my own experience. You just buy yeah. more online because it's easier. Yeah. Um, as, a, as, a, as a channel right? shift. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, as a channel shift for sure. I think we're contributing to people shopping more online than offline. I'm yeah. a, a 100% aligned with that. But I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think that necessarily drives it. So, so I think we're. But, but again, I think here again, what you have to be is the only the only way to to deal with this topic is you have to be trying to be self critical, self aware. Mm -hmm continuously challenge what you're doing looking at you know how are you communicating how what are the products that you're launching i mean we have deposit products today we are you know we have savings products we have products that are there to save people money when they shop online to get deals and offers so we're trying to uh you know find the right balance and we're trying to learn and iterate and 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 be mindful and i think right. that's the only thing we're going to make mistakes as everyone else it's just it's not about the mistakes you make it's about When you realize them, are you acting on them? Are you changing things? If we do a mistake or if we, you know, something isn't the way we want it to be, then we can act and, and fix it. And that's yeah. more than I see with the legacy banks. I, you know, they are not very fast, fast at admitting mistakes. And even if they do, I seldom see them actually change anything. Right. So I think like, you know, that that's the only thing you can do. You can listen to what people are saying and then try to improve. Right. I, I don't know how the discussion is in, in Sweden, but in Germany, in Germany, we had a huge discussion during Corona where many people realized they couldn't go to a restaurant, they couldn't go to buy something in a store, couldn't buy, buy clothes and something. And there was a huge discussion around that people don't re like realize that they don't really need so much stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> and that less is more and, you know, that you probably don't Absolutely. have to buy all that, you know. 
how do you think about this as somebody who's like, you know, in, in, at the back end of, of this payment process? Is this something no. that you take into consideration uh, that you no, see? In your yes, we do see. We do see. So you can take a very concrete example. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., Trump decided that most families in the U.S. would get a check of $1,200. With his face on, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> really? Was it? I didn't no, know that. no, no, I don't want to provide any fake news here um, because I'm not the enemy of the people. Um, yeah. I think it was, but it was his name on it or something. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, you know more than I do then. I, I don't, I, I'm not aware of yeah. how that was done. But yeah, that was I do know, what I do know is what we saw and what other banks saw in the U.S. is People partially use that to buy some things, mostly home improvement stuff, things that they wanted to you know, uh, do, some shopping as well. But a lot of people also used a big portion of that to pay down their debts. Mm -hmm. uh, and so overall, it, it had a positive impact on people's economical situation. We're obviously in a situation where it's a very odd situation because we have two groups of people. We have a group of people that lost their jobs or are about to lose their jobs or are risking to lose their jobs. And those obviously will have a negative impact on their economy, on their prerequisites, you know, and so forth. And that's something, you know, very serious that I think, you know, uh, companies and politicians alike can take responsibility for. And, and we are trying to do that as well and help people who are in distress and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the one group. But then you have a, a, a much larger group, a much larger group, that has not lost their jobs and who, to your point, have gone through three months of savings. Right. And they have suddenly consumed much less than they have historically. And they're happy. And they're probably and happy, they're happy. You know? And they're happy and content with that. And we do definitely believe that this will have – I look, in general, I am not one who believes that people change their behaviors that easily – um, because when we read about something in a newspaper or whatever, we read about it and then we go on with our lives and so forth. But while this is very different because this is an experience that all of us have gone through. And I do think experience just changes people's behaviors. You know, when you've been through an experience, it might change how you think about things. And I am a hundred percent aligned with you. But also what you can see really interesting from fashion is something that I've also got confirmation now from a large number of retailers. Returns have dropped consistently. Hmm. So people are not returning fashion as much. And the reason for that, we believe, and what I'm hearing from the retailers, is people are shopping less kind of, oh, I'm going out for the weekend and I want, you know, a nice sweater, which I will use one weekend. And they're, you know, shopping more clothes that they think they're going to use for a longer period of time. So when these things arrive, they're less prone to return them as well. And so in a way, has it led to a more healthy consumption? Yes, I do think it has. And I think a lot of people will learn from this to your point that like they're going to change their consumption habits. I'm a, I'm, I think that's absolutely right. But isn't that uh, bad news for you? <laughs> no, but you can't think about it that way. I mean, like, again, we, you know, we can rather think about this as an opportunity on how to inspire people to find those products that are different and more long-term and, you know, help them discover these things and so forth. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just don't, I, I think, you know, in essence, if you start thinking that way, I don't think you're building a long-term successful business. Like you mm -hmm. gotta, you gotta look at these things and rather promote it and say, look, this is an amazing opportunity. It's great that you save this amount of money, you know, um, put it in a savings account, do something smart with it, you know, save it for, for a rainy day. Like, I think that's the way to think about it. 
Coming to the last, very last and fast part of this podcast, which is our either or game. And this is the way it works. I give you two words. You have mm -hmm. to make a choice and explain real quick why you made the choice. And okay. we start with bits or pretzels. Well, I am a pretzel fan. I love, like, every time I go to Germany, I pick up pretzels. <laughs> uh, when it comes to music, Snoop Dogg or Lady Gaga? Mm, that's a difficult one. I know. <laughs> I, I know I would, I, in the end, I still listen more to Lady Gaga. So I still have to say Lady Gaga. I'm sorry. Okay. Although Snoop Dogg is one of your investors. Okay. Yes. Right. Fair yeah, enough. So, yeah. Shopping uh, online or in the store? No, online for sure. That's an easy one. Talking or listening? I look, I want to say listening and everybody who knows me will say that was such a lie because you're just talking all the time. So, <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's my big ambition in life. I have this idea that at some point of time I will become this wise person that actually shut up, shuts up and listens to people around me. So, so that's why I want to say, listen, it's an ambition. It's not, I'm not saying it's reality today, but that's what I want to do. I want to listen. Follow or lead. I can do both, but I do believe like I am, I am obviously in, interested in leading. I think, you know, leadership is a difficult thing and I am extremely, you know, interested in trying to understand what does great leadership look like and what, what, how can I try to aspire for it? I think that's uh, so I would say leadership. In that sense. Dreamer or realist? I am. I'm, I think everyone would say I'm a dreamer in the end. So I love the dreams. I think, you know, some people say, see things as they are and say why and some people dream things that never were and say why not that's one of the best quotes jfk conquer or compromise <sighs> wow you know what that is difficult because i think unfortunately a lot of solutions in the world to problems are not great because they're compromises um but at the same point of time i do believe in the value of compromise so that's very, very hard. Conquer is obviously not entirely the same thing. I would still say compromise, but yeah, it's a difficult topic. Sebastian, thank you so much to come to the Bits and Presses podcast. It was a huge pleasure uh, to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much. All right. That was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please let us know how we do and write to us at podcast at bitsandpretzels.com. Don't miss the next episode of this podcast and subscribe to our media newsletter at bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Again, that's bitsandpretzels.com slash media sign up. Stay safe and see you next Wednesday. Bits and Pretzels.